if you're just trying to be that trusted advisor and then you can access research group data and, and you're starting to know how to navigate these situations, you could step in and, and be that consultant as well. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm stoked today to welcome David Wright. David, please give an introduction of yourself and your business. I always let the guests do it because you do it better than me. Hey, Ledge. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. David Wright. I am the founder and CEO of Disruptive Innovations. We are a digital business and tech consulting firm based here right in New York City. What kind of work do you do specifically at uh, the firm? Sure, yeah. We specialize in helping mainly enterprise organizations with IT strategy and the execution of various digital transformation initiatives. We can get in a little bit more about what that looks like. Yeah, sure. I mean, people have been throwing around digital transformation, the phrase for a while now, you know, it tends to get almost muddled. So yeah, I dig into like, because I love the strategy of that. And it's not like companies weren't digital, right? You know, you get this idea in your head of sort of saying what's actually happening here. Uh, so yeah, dig into it a little bit. Like how does a company even know what that is? Because, you know, you don't kind of don't go on Google and be like, you know, I really need to digitally transform today. Right. So, right. you know, it's it's right. just like I think all of us in the in the field have started to use that phrase and we know what it means, but maybe everybody else doesn't really know what it means. Like, please dig into the, the strategy and philosophy of that. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think it's different for, for each business, but it ties back into that first uh, phrase, IT strategy. For me, it's about getting really clear on on the business vision of the organization, the business drivers goals, challenges, what they're encountering in the market today, and then finding creative ways to solve those problems. And then after find, figuring out those ways to solve the problems, backing into how technology can, can help fulfill that. Uh, and I know that's a, a you know, fairly, fairly broad, but that's why I said it kind of differs uh, depending on the, the type of business, the industry. Um, you really need to customize a, a digital transformation strategy for each client. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think what's important for people to take away from that is, you know, we call it IT strategy, but really the last thing in line ought to be the technology, the, the tools, the stack, the things that you choose there you're really needing to talk about business strategy first and, and in many cases change management around human capital because you know people don't like to do things differently even if it's better for them or at least you need to prove to them that it's better than them. Uh, and then you have 
you know, business leaders think about things differently than people who actually have to use IT, you know, and the way that like, it's not about technology. In fact, maybe the way to think about it is like information flow is really what all this is about. And for a while there was the, you know, sort of CIO was in charge of this. Now you sort of are finding that even percolating to all the other functions, like even, even marketing is a heavily technology enabled you know, piece of the equation now. So, yeah. And you see, you see other types of business leaders. I actually was reading an article earlier about how CIOs used to be tasked with just keeping the lights on. And now other business leaders that weren't even classically CIOs are actually stepping into that role because they have, they have insight about how a digital strategy could impact the business, even not having a heavily tech background. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's become something that is like inescapable, you know, in, in terms of, of business. So I think when I hear about, you know, sort of enterprise digital transformation, we're really talking about like fundamental upgrades of stuff that's been in place for, you know, a very long time, right? It's like the difference between like everything going wireless versus wired. And now, I'm sure you've seen it in your work, you know, just the, oh, wow, our workforce just all has to work from home now. And, you know, just like a tremendous amount of stress got put on tactical infrastructure, you know, just for that, because now we've multiplied our endpoints and there's 150,000 offices instead of, you know, just three. <laughs> so Right. Yeah. And you saw, you saw business leaders kind of jump at either collaboration tools and platforms they had been using previously, or they got an email about Zoom being free and they hopped on that. But one of the things that we're helping businesses do right now is take a step back and evaluate, you know, are these collaboration tools really the best fit for our business based on the rest of our application stack and the integrations that we could be taking advantage of based on you know, you touched on workflow before based on our workflow and the bottlenecks that we see in our process, right? You know, and, and you determine that by really, but not even from a technological standpoint, but just from a business operations standpoint, what does that look like? And where, where can we, you know, improve time to delivery, you know, and, and, and then backing into how technology can help make that better, do things faster for less money or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many tools now uh, and, and you find like certain people in certain functions get attached to certain tools and the rest of the enterprise maybe doesn't want to behave that way. And so you get these sort of siloed SaaS tools, just like there used to be siloed, you know, on-prem tools and and then customize stuff and integrations. And it's really hard to get an org to, you know, sort of agree on the, the perfect tool. None of them address everything. And then you end up starting to go like, hey, listen, you know, you've got an affordable tool here that actually makes 80% of your stuff work. Are you willing to change the 20% or uh, are you not willing to change the 20% because it's critically important or just because you're not good at changing things? Right. And it, it gets even more difficult when you're talking about enterprise organizations that grow by M&A, you know, the, the 
integrating these companies, particularly if you get into healthcare, financial services is, you know, innately very difficult to begin with, but then taking a step back to understand those business workflows that are, they were different companies. So that they are, you know, similar oftentimes, but different. So it's crucial that you have a partner uh, who can come, you know, evaluate that while you're while you're busy, you know, keeping up with the demands of the business. Because one of the things we'll see is oftentimes the business leaders outside of IT don't necessarily understand all the implications of of merging those organizations. So, you know, we come in and we are an extension of IT leadership's team to help them, you know, evaluate these types of decisions while they're busy keeping up with the demands of the business. And then, you know, obviously the technology landscape, you mentioned this before, is evolving so rapidly that CIOs and other business leaders are just having trouble keeping up. You know, that's compounded by the fact that now, you know, with the advent of COVID and everything happened, customer experience has, you know, quickly become polarized as one of the most crucial elements to remaining competitive uh, in today's business climate. Mm-hmm. Talk, you know? So, you know, and, and I experienced the sales and marketing stack, you know, more than anything, you know, in, in my world. And I mean, how do you deal with companies that, you know, they have, there's 6,000 different choices for like endpoints that, you know, you could put in place or, you know, point solutions. And it's really hard to meet everybody's needs because there is a best of breed point solution for everything, but it makes almost no sense to cobble together and have to manage that, that constellation of, of stuff. And it's really hard to say, you know, should I invest in one centralized system or should I invest in, you know, 27 different point solutions and how does all this stuff work together? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great point. And I think, Part of a huge part of that is just proper organizational change management. So, uh, taking the time to enroll the various stakeholders in what we're doing, and ultimately in that vision for the future, you know, and and basing that vision as much on their priorities and and what would make their life easier as possible, because having having them know that that's the vision. Because oftentimes what we'll find is different departments or business units, they often have the same vision for for what they'd like it to look like. They want it to be efficient. They want it to be, they want ease of access. They want, you know, whatever it might be. So, you know, if if we can paint the picture of what the possibilities look like and then, you know, keep them enrolled, you know, communicate regularly, that can quell a lot of that concern. And then past that, I mean, having a, a business partner like Disruptive Innovations that can back into the features and functionality needed, right, you know, to, to support the business, and then go back to our lab where we have research group data part we have partnerships with thousands of vendors right so we're able to kind of check the boxes of 
the geographical redundancy needed or the compliance requirements or the integrations or, you know, and, and honestly, that kind of that uh, makes the pack a lot smaller than it may have been initially. And, you know, that's really one of our biggest value adds is we, we can help clients sort through that noise uh, really based on on, you know, where they're going as an organization and what their needs are as a as a company. Yeah, right. And I think you work with a lot of high compliance types of industries too, right? Which it does absolutely knock out a lot of tools that, you know, you just wish you could use, but you're not going to be able to because you can't, you know, sort of retain the information or, you know, you have like all kinds of restrictions on on stuff and I feel for some of those business people that might want to be a little more agile and, you know, use the interesting new free point solution app or whatever it is, but you know, none of that stuff is going to work in a highly regulated environment. Yeah. That. And then with the advent of COVID, uh, a renewed emphasis on security architecture is paramount because as we've seen security and, and compliance concerns have evolved with the, with the pandemic. And you mentioned so many more endpoints. It's just that many more, um, opportunities for cybers threats to mm-hmm. you know leak, oh my gosh the, the attack surface is just outrageous now you know and so you really have to think about it from the standpoint of almost like you can't protect against every possible thing and then so how do you like you know flip over that whole and they talk about zero trust type of methodology now where it's just like assume you're getting attacked everywhere at all times. And, you know, what do you do about that? Now you're, you're effectively a smaller business that provides a service to, you know, huge businesses. And I always am interested in that because, you know, how do you, how do you run a smaller consultancy, you know, service business, technology business, what kind of overlap happens in in the ideas that go into, you know, like things that you do for yours versus things you have to advise clients to do, like on, you know, a sort of a global, you know, kind of mega scale. I'm always interested in what are the immutable laws that everybody has to behave, you know, for small or large. And then, you know, what are the differences between those? Yeah, well, you know, about six months to a year ago, we had to really take a step back and, and catch up with some of those those laws because we had find found ourselves scaling so rapidly that to to do that had had become cumbersome along the way. So we kind of went that went through that process, and now the the company's fully built off best practices, and you know our f- full application uh, stack from the first touch point we have with a client to you know, transitioning them to managed services is fully integrated. So yeah, but it's tricky, right? I mean, obviously being, being, uh, you know, a smaller business, if you will, um, you know, is a little bit easier for us to pivot, right? Because, you know, it, it becomes infinitely more difficult for, for enterprise organizations, but a huge part of it is just a, a cultural agreement, you know, creating that, that cultural shift that can kind of permeate the organization and, you know, getting people excited about mission and getting people excited about purpose-driven type activities. Yeah. I love that part 
because when you, you get to talking about like technology stack stuff and it's not such a big leap from the core values type of discussion and you realize like you can you have to learn as a culture and then as leadership you know who drives that like how do i make decision making or like the heuristics of what i do here clear to everyone like how do you make a good choice about what you're doing and it does come all the way into like it's much closer together that vision and mission stuff and core values much closer to the technology than you you think it is and you you really need to do that first and i remember early in my you know sort of entrepreneurial career that i just didn't quite grasp i didn't want to spend the time on on those things i thought i thought that that was a waste of time you know i just wanted to dive in and do the work and i quickly found that that was not correct and uh, i'm just wondering what your experience has been on that yeah i mean it's it's just it's so huge i mean uh we're working with a large health system right now and for example the the population health team their, their mission is to transition more of these folks into a value-based care model. And the way that technology and data analytics and the way that it's going to support them in serving the patients is groundbreaking. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's huge. And, you know, we're seeing this shift in, in healthcare in general. Um, and it's, it's about time, right? I mean, for the for the longest time, health systems in particular, you know, they kind of just slogged along. And I mean, that's that's a rash generalization, right? I mean, there's a lot of health systems that are on the bleeding edge, but it, it goes back to it being harder for them to pivot with, you know, very, you know, tons of labor assets, real tons of infrastructure, you know, needing to to make sure that they're that high availability, it created a, a, a fear, right? I mean, you hear about health systems and certain financial services organizations being the, the classic late adopters. And I mean, it makes sense, right? Because if they pivot and, and something goes wrong, I mean, it could be life threatening, right? So yeah, yeah, when you're dealing with lives and money, uh, <laughs> you know, on, on high transaction basis, you can't mess it up. Although you also find at the same time that you're kicking that technical debt or operational debt or process debt, you know, down the line to the point where you're forced to make an extreme pivot because you're just stuck. And and that's also not good. You know? So then you have, you know, sort of financial services, you know, still going, well, we need the 80 year old guy who wrote this COBOL because we run our entire business and 70% of our transactions still run on this mainframe and nobody knows how to use it anymore. But you also know that, geez, I mean, how would you even think about moving that workload, you know, to whiz bang new serverless architecture? <laughs> I mean, it's just it's mind boggling, boggling complexity. And I guess that's good for consultants, right? Because, you know, you guys have something to do. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's daunting. And, you know, it's about creating a roadmap, right? Putting one foot in front of the other. You know, it, when we go into these projects, it could be overwhelming. I mean, and, and this is all we're focusing on. We're just focused on that situation. But, you know, we've, we've found that 
it just starts with a single step, right? You, you start collecting the data, you know, you, you know, enroll these stakeholders and have those discovery conversations, you know, you start getting a sense for the, the current state, you talk to them about what their vision for the future is, and you create a roadmap from, from point A to point B. I mean, the, the beauty of an organization like ours is, you know, we don't have to be everything to everyone. You know, our, our core team um, is about 12 folks at any given time, though, we'll have anywhere from 15 to 20 contractors that we've worked with extensively since our inception in the beginning of 2018. So they'll come in in, in different roles. It allows us to get best of breed in, in the different uh, areas that we need to, you know, fulfill. And then we also leverage a lot of different partners that are also best of breed in what they do, right? So not only the, the solution providers that are fulfilling the solution, but for example, when you talk about a health system, you know, we'll work very closely with the integrators that are working on the EHR aggregation or, or consolidation. You know, it's crucial that we understand all those moving parts as we create this digital strategy uh, and we can't be experts at everything, right? And I think the consumer is is getting really clear on that. So, you know, we come in as a, a trusted advisor in their cabinet, a trusted consultancy, you know, grounded in integrity, right? So we're, we're able to say, hey, Mr. Customer, you know, let's go bring in this partner to, to really add maximum value to your situation, as opposed to trying to, you know, figure it out ourselves. How did you, let's talk about your, your path there. See, this firm, you know, originated about three years ago, but like, obviously, you know, like the, the path to get there, I think there's a lot of subject matter experts. They come out of industry. They're interested in a particular, you know, vertical. This is a, a ripe area where, you know, people start working for a smaller consultancy as, as things, you know, sort of move into specialized area. But how did you get here in your career to the point where you kind of go, okay, I own and run a professional services and technology firm, you know, because that's it's just an interesting path. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, uh, around 12 years ago, I, you know, started working in the technology field at a, another consulting shop at the time. It was, very sales oriented, you know, kind of just, uh, I used to say like slinging circuits, right? So telecom, network, infrastructure, services, and, you know, uh, the one of the managing partners at that firm and I, over time, we kind of helped grow this consultative process for that company. And, you know, uh, they're still doing fantastic. I mean, the company wanted to make some changes, um, you know, a little three, three or four years ago into the organizational structure. And, you know, I, I was looking for a change, right? So, you know, over the course of 2017, um, I was looking at a lot of the larger consulting firms, right? Interviewing there. And in the evenings, I started thinking about what it would look like to start my own company. Right. And you'll you'll see I, you, you mentioned it being kind of family oriented, I believe, or um, maybe we talked about it before the podcast. But my father was also looking for a change. So I brought him on as one of our first senior vice presidents. And, 
you know, we workshopped it for, for just about a year, right? So we, you know, thought about the, you know, the, the everything from the name of the company to the logo and kind of everything in between. I, towards the end of 2017, it, it started becoming more of a reality that, you know, I could really do this. And I started speaking with some of the CIOs that I've, you know, that I know, uh, and there was a CIO, you know, outside my non-compete and non-solicit that needed help. And I, I made the jump, right? Everything was, everything was prepared when we launched in the beginning of 2018, because we, we spent a lot of time uh, working on the IP and everything else. And we hit the ground running with a uh, large integration project for a bank in, in the uh, Southeast. And so you knew how to, because of your sales experience, then navigate that larger, you know, procurement process, like how to sign a big contract with a bigger company. Cause I think that's, that often gets missed and it's a really important skill set that, you know, you might have all the, the capabilities on how to actually do the work, but, but finding and closing that work, even if it's a, a friendly relationship, you know, you kind of have to know how to navigate that, that procurement and contracting process to keep yourself out of trouble and even get it done, you know, kind of at all. Uh, any advice for folks that maybe haven't come from a sales background if you're starting your own? Because I, I think that's crucial. Yeah, I mean, I think it, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm reading a really great book right now called Gap Selling. You know, I'd recommend that to, to anyone as a, a tip. But you know, I've always been in the business of creating 30 year relationships with the, the customers I serve. So that that's a paramount performance to me, you know, really building that relationship and always coming from a place of service as opposed to trying to sell or or trying to uh, fulfill my needs. Right. The more that I can focus on being of service, the more things to tend to take care of themselves. But, you know, the other thing that I'm, I'm, I'm finding is that the, the CIOs that we work with they're I mean, they're becoming, their access to information has uh, changed over time, right? So now they, they have all the data in front of them, all the data that they need to make a decision, right? So it goes back to really needing to focus on what are their concerns as a business and, you know, really actually focusing on the, the emotion that that business leader is experiencing per those concerns, right? And then, and then you know, explaining how you've addressed that for, for another customer and then ultimately getting into the technology of uh, that that would support that. Right. And there you go again with these soft things like emotions involved in like IT transformation and yes, like absolutely right. And it's there's this thing that I advise salespeople, you know, sort of hey, let's get away from, you know, what are your pain points or what's keeping you up at night? Like there are these these trite phrases, but that's what you're accessing there. It's really important to to talk to people about just like, hey, what's stressing you out? Like what what gives you anxiety on a daily basis that we might be able to get some some quick wins on? 
you know, the like stuff that actually matters to people and, and also like, how are they evaluated? Like what you got a major milestone coming up maybe in your career. Like when is your next performance eval from your upstream manager? Is there anything we can do to help that work? Uh, and you got to make those like little investments for people. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, with these, you know, in both the healthcare and, and financial services sectors, I mean, these these business leaders are under a ton of stress, right? Because they have these organizations with new delivery models, companies that were built on a cloud first, headless uh, methodology coming into their world and, you know, stealing their market share, right? And they and they have operated a certain way classically and now they really need to figure out how to how to adjust and and step into that role where they can compete with these newer companies right right and on the one hand you'd think oh a giant company they have so much money like this is great they can invest and and yet they're they're just stuck in you know this classic way of doing business like you said and We've got to rearrange people. We've got to rearrange technology. We actually actually have physical buildings, infrastructure, like all kinds of stuff that is kind of hooked into that. It's not just about connecting a bunch of, of technology stuff and pushing information around. And I think like that's what makes it complex. And, and I've seen this, like, like you said, you know, you go through this with your own smaller firm. Those of us who are dealing with dozens of people, not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people and it's it's hard you know even on a small business scale you go through your credit card statement you're like geez i'm i've got a stack of 30 something tools for my tiny little company you know relatively speaking right and and then you look at what these mega firms must go through and uh you know we're it's like as humans we're capable of creating messes far in excess of what we're capable of cleaning up <laughs> that's what I, for sure. when i think about it so. for sure <laughs> so with that with that happy note uh you know <laughs> turn it i always like to ask my guests to you know put on your your future hat and kind of go all right on the next two three years like what are you focused on and thinking about what should you know people in general in the b2b sphere uh, be thinking about, you know, just key things, macro stuff, back of mind, you know, I just, I try to grab those before we wind up. Yeah. I mean, our, our focus is to be that trusted consultancy for those, those late adopters that, that we mentioned, or, or not even late adopters, just the, those companies that, that need assistance in, in navigating this hugely complex, I mean, you know, we didn't even get into it, but what about, you know, organizational change management when it comes to training? And I mean, there's so, there's so many different layers to it. So that's, that's our focus. And one of the ways that we're stepping into that is through our new marketing strategy. So part of our strategic plan for 2022 involved a really extensive marketing strategy I think digital marketing is paramount in, in this climate that uh, we've been talking about, especially when it's harder to get in front of uh, customers with COVID and everything else. So ours is, is multi-pronged, starting with uh, search engine optimization and advertising, 
we have a LinkedIn strategy. We are launching a podcast right now. Uh, as you may know, Ledge, we are uh, all all of our marketing and advertising efforts are based off of intent data. You know, so getting a sense of of what customers might need our help and really trying to be there for them first. Content is huge, right? So we've been doing a, a ton of uh, written content as well. And, you know, cohesively putting that together, I mean, I feel is just like the baseline for what you need to be a successful company right now. From there, it's about then moving into that kind of problem solution mindset and you know showing up and being of service and you know that's a whole process in and of itself but that that digital marketing helps show that you are the you are it you know you are the the person that they need right you're providing those proof points really where i think it's really easy to not develop, particularly if you're a professional service or tech firm or something like that, it's easy to run out the friendlies or the referrals and kind of think you have a business that is going to keep scaling. And then eventually those networks run out. And I think that it's really, it's intelligent to think the way you are. And it's right around that point where I see businesses sort of go, we really are not going to be able to continue our growth pattern based on our network anymore or referrals. Like it just isn't going to happen. And to invest ahead in what I would call then a direct marketing and sales uh, sort of uh, strategy, because you're basically saying like, I need to get people who don't know about me and don't care that I exist to be interested in what we do and be able to show them that we can add value. And it's a lot harder and it's expensive. And, you know, I would typically advise if I could go back and, you know, to companies that we typically work with and kind of look and say, you know, make sure that you are setting aside a fair portion, 20, 30% of that partner or referral based or friendly sort of early revenue, because that's how much it's going to cost to invest into the, uh, development of the direct channel. And I, I think that's a huge lesson. And I, I talked about that on a, you know, on a sort of MSP podcast and uh, that got a lot of good responses. I don't know if that resonates with you, but. hundred percent. I mean, when I, when I go to these, these conferences, I mean, there's not a ton of, you know, managed service providers and professional services firms doing it. I mean, it's strangely enough. And, you know, the other thing that we're seeing is, you know, with the access to this data and with other types of companies, like, for example, marketing companies starting to be more of a player in the digital space, they're going to they're gonna come in and eat your lunch. Right. I mean, because if you're if you're just trying to be that trusted advisor and then you can access research group data and and you're starting to know how to navigate these situations, you could step in and, and be that consultant as well and not just digital marketing firms, but, you know, accounting firms and, you know, legal firms. So yeah, it's, it's crucial that you brand yourself as that, that entity that, that can help them. I love that. Great message. So David, uh, folks want to listen or uh, folks want to talk to you some more. How do they uh, reach out and uh, what's the best channel to find you? 
Yeah. So, I mean, hit me on, on LinkedIn, David M. Wright, Disruptive Innovations, or Twitter, uh, at Wright David M. Or check out our website, www.disruptiveinnovations.net. I will also be launching our podcast towards the end of the month. So stay tuned for, for that. We're really excited about that. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we appreciate this opportunity. You know, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, Ledge. And, uh, you know, looking forward to, you know, crushing it in 2022. Absolutely. Absolutely. We look forward to participating in the crushing. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great day, man. Thanks so much for sharing your insights. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.